You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Good morning, good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. Go ahead and grab your outline out of your program. We're going to get into God's Word here today. Isn't it good just to stand uh, before Him, just to stand and say, God, you're God and I'm not, and it's a, a very good thing. In fact, uh, we're taking some stands in some of our I believe statements during this series. We would say this, that I believe that life is more than survival. I believe the heart is more than the muscle. And today, I believe in hope and freedom. And here's why hope and freedom is such a weird thing to try to cling to. We think, well, there's certain things that I'll never have hope or freedom over. Maybe for you, it's just a a regular sin in your life. For others of you, it might be an addiction. For others of you, you just think, "I, I don't know that I'll ever be free of this. I'll never be free of this problem or this trauma or this experience. And and when we look at our lives, and we look at our lives as two things, we look at our lives as one life on earth and a future life in heaven, we can easily despair because we think that we're only looking at our life on earth. I'll only be free once I'm in heaven and not necessarily in my life on earth. But if we look at life as one life, that your life on earth, interlude of death, and still alive in heaven, your soul is alive, you realize that there is a point in your life and my life where you and I are ultimately free. The enemy wants to just say, get what you can in this life, do what you can in this life, because he wants to say there are certain things where you're going to give up on hope. There are certain areas where you're going to give up that you will ever be free. There are certain things where you will downplay the power of God to experience freedom in your life. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I don't struggle. It doesn't mean that you and I don't have addictions or hurts or habits or hang-ups. It means we might process through those our entire life, but there is a day in our life when we are free from those things. When there is freedom. Yeah, give it up because we need that, man, right? There is a day. And sometimes we think there's not. The enemy's just going to try to discourage you that there's not a day. Well, the day is, the day of our ultimate freedom is when we take this fleshly body and we put it back in the ground. We take our rental and we turn it back in and we we go into heaven. And on that day, we are free. And the scriptures describe it as a place where there's no more tears, no more suffering, no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow. The old order of things has passed away. That is a good day. It's one life. So I believe that life is more than survival. I believe the heart is more than a muscle. And I believe in hope and freedom. Uh, at a previous church I served at, I had a couple come into my office. And they have been addicted to cocaine and were working through uh, their addiction issues. Uh, but they kept coming to a point in their life where uh, they just didn't think there would be freedom. They just had lost all hope. In fact, uh, the woman basically brought the guy into my office because he had lost all hope. You ever been there? Maybe somebody you love, they've lost all hope and you don't know what to do next. And so they came into my office and, and I'm probably at that time, I'm in my maybe 20s, upper 20s. And uh, they're probably in their 40s. And I'm thinking, I don't know what I can, like, let's see what, you know, what God would do, have me do with this couple. I mean, and so they come in, they sit down in my office. It's kind of a tiny little office. They're across the desk from me. And they begin to share their story. And he just shares how he's lost hope. And this hasn't been a one-time thing. In fact, he said about four years ago, He, by the way, I'm sharing this story with you today with permission. 
Just so you know, like, I get permission when I share people's stories. I just want you to be aware of that. Like, well, I take confidentiality really seriously. And so when I'm sharing a story like this or other stories you've heard, it's always with permission. And so this couple, and I'm not naming them, they basically just said they didn't have hope. And so they came in the office, and the, and the guy shares about four years ago, he had lost all hope. And he was literally alone in the dark, and he had a gun in his mouth, and that he just cried out to God as he was going to basically think about ending his life, and a knock came on his door, and it was his brother, and God, and he just said, God just intervened. He said, he sent my brother over at the time when I lost all hope, and I was thinking about ending it, which is never the right decision. It's never a good decision. Hope never brings you to that point. Freedom never brings you to that point, and so it's never a good decision, but he said, God intervened. And so we begin talking, and they're telling me what they're doing in recovery and some other things. And, and all of a sudden, God does this thing inside my heart. He just says, you need to ask this guy a question. And I'm just listening, right, to them across my desk. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't want to ask them that question. <laughs> like, they're going to think I am crazy. He goes, no, no, you need to, like, like God's putting it in my heart. Like, you got to ask them this specific question. You say, what's the question? So I looked at the guy and just said, hey, uh, this is totally weird, but... <laughs> I got to ask you the question. I said, do you have a specific bullet that you would use if you got to the point where you would decide to check out? And he looks at me. His eyes get big. He shoves his chair back from my desk. And he stands up and he says, why would you ask me that? Now I'm thinking horrible. I'm like, well, I just felt like I should ask you that. I'm not like sure, right? He reaches in his pocket. He takes out this bullet and he puts it on my desk. He said, you couldn't have known about that. The girl says, what is that? He says, I carry it with me all the time. She says, I do your laundry. She goes, I've never seen it. He goes, I know, I take it out all the time. I don't ever want you to see that. See, in the back of his mind, he'd always thought, well, I'm going to do as much as I can, but if I can't, then this is my checkout thing. This is the leash that was holding him down. This is the thing that he was using to stay trapped to not believe in hope, to not believe in freedom. And he just was, he was just shocked. So much so, all I could say is, listen, like God just put that on my heart. And I just said, it just shows you and me both, because I'm not that good. And you're, you, know, you had no idea that that was going to happen either. But I just said, it just shows that the God who created you loves you and is pursuing you today. That's what he's doing. Sometimes when we think we put our hope in something that to let us check out, God's saying, no, I still want your heart engaged. I still want your life active. I don't want you to make agreements with apathy. I don't want you to make agreements with diminishment. I don't want you to make agreements with isolating. I want you to come alive and be fully alive in one life. A life that is open to saying, God, I can't see it. I don't know it, how it all work out, but I believe in a God of freedom. I believe in a God of hope. But sometimes we just ask, is there hope? Is there hope for my depression, my suicidal thoughts, my addiction? Will I be single forever? How can I get out of debt? Is there hope in that? What about my past? What about my present? What about my future? Can I have hope? Can I have freedom? And I believe that life is more than survival. I believe the heart is more than a muscle. And I believe in hope and freedom. And when we lose hope, we ask God the wrong questions. The first one we ask is this, God, don't you care? Now, in our mind, we should always know that God cares. Of course God cares. But sometimes in our heart and in our circumstances in our life, we go, God, don't you care? That's the most common question we can ask. 
I'll tell you what, the guys, he was in my office and we were talking. He had a bunch of wrong questions. He's like, so if a person commits suicide, do they go to hell? It's a wrong question. It's not exactly the question he's really asking. He's really asking, is there hope? Is there freedom? And there's a God who gave his life so that after death, you and I could be with him in heaven. But to check out early is never the answer. It's always do we leave and live out of the hope that God gives us. But sometimes we think the ultimate trap is death. We think that's the end. That's the end of us. And the reality is that's not. That's the interlude. But there was two sisters in the Bible, Mary and Martha. They had a brother named Lazarus. And Lazarus got sick. Now these ladies, they know Jesus. Jesus is a close personal friend. It's like having a super celebrity that you could just call on, you could text them. They put out word and they said, hey, Lazarus, whom you love, this brother of yours, like he's really, really sick. It's not going well for him. Please come as soon as you can. Please, your brother Lazarus is, is sick. They put out word to their close friend Jesus. Jesus receives a word and he delays. He doesn't make it there. And as he's on his way, they say, Lazarus has died. In fact, he's been in the grave now for four days. Jesus weeps, seeing the weeping of these two sisters that are close friends. And he weeps with them. He says, take me to the tomb. They're like, why are we going to the tomb? He's not saying, take me to the gravestone or the graveside. He's saying, take me to the tomb. And they get to the tomb they roll open the stone. They're afraid that, that Lazarus stinks because after four days, yeah, in that humid climate, yeah, absolutely. They roll the stone back. He cries out, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, all wrapped up in his clothes, comes out. He is raised from the dead. One of my biggest complaints with Scripture is no one ever interviewed Lazarus. Hey, I'm going to take this down. What did you do on day one? What was it like on the other? Did you see a light? You know, no one asked him any of these questions, right? I'm like, of all the things they recorded in Scripture, they missed it. But Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. The impossible, like these, these girls, they're so afraid, they're so weeping, like they said, they told Jesus, listen, had you been here, he wouldn't die. In other words, we know your capacity to heal. And if you'd shown up when we invited you, he wouldn't have died, and he did die. And Jesus is like, I'm even God of the living and of the dead. He calls them out of the grave. Now these ladies, they're just, it's unbelievable, right? So a little while later, as Jesus is traveling around, Jesus is coming back to the area, and these two sisters want to throw Jesus the ultimate party. Listen, if someone has raised your family member from the dead, and you want to say thank you, you're going to put on a really nice event, right? So that's what happens. If you have your Bible, open with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So here's Martha. 
She wants to put on this great event for Jesus. She wants to have it just be the nicest thing. It's the best thing you can do. You know, you're looking around the people who are there. The men are in there with Jesus. He's talking with them. Lazarus is probably sitting right there. And guess what? Mary is sitting in with the men having cigars. As Jesus is teaching. Okay, they're not really having cigars. But that you get the idea, right? Like she maybe shouldn't be there culturally. And here's Martha. She's doing a bunch of things that Jesus never asked her to do. Did Jesus say, hey, Martha, will you make me a sandwich? No. He didn't say that. Hey, Martha, will you put on this great event? No. She's just doing what a person who has a gift of hospitality would do. And oftentimes with a person with a gift of hospitality, by the time they're going to ask for help, they needed help five minutes ago. They needed help an hour ago. But by the time they finally get around to asking anybody else for help, they're frazzled. They're done. They're frustrated. And she comes to God, the God who cared enough to raise her brother from the dead, and she throws her hands up and she says, God, don't you what? Don't you care? Don't you care? And she asks him a very specific question. That you're enabling my sister to sit in with the boys like a regular disciple, instead of being where in that culture, culturally, the lady should be. And Jesus does something dramatic in front of all the boys. He says, Martha, you're worried and upset about a bunch of things. You're on a mission. It's a good idea. But Mary has in mind what are God ideas. In fact, him validating that she was sitting there gave validation in a culture that looked down on women, gave validation to her that she was on the equal plane as a disciple as any man, sitting at the feet of a rabbi. That was only something that the men did. The rabbi would choose the up-and-coming young men, and he would teach them. He would be their rabbi. And he's basically saying, Mary has a seat at the table. Jesus fought for women's rights when it wasn't even culturally popular to do so but he also deals with Martha and her heart he actually says he says Mary has chosen what is better it's actually in if you translate the language it actually says Mary has chosen the good part the good thing the one good thing she's chosen that and it won't be taken away from her she is in the position of a legitimate disciple, a legitimate student of the rabbi and Jesus tears down class position gender and roles as he validates Mary as a student in that moment. Listen, if you're taking notes today, I want you to realize something. Some of you in this room, you're like Mary. Some of you in this room, you're like Martha. And if you're like Martha, I want you to know that you're going to ask God, don't you care? Don't you care when I'm running around, when I'm frazzled, when I'm worn out, when I'm so busy taking care of everybody? In fact, I'm not sure that my own needs are, are being validated. In fact, by the time you get to, to the fact where your needs need to be validated, you're all messed up. You're all frustrated because somewhere deep down on the inside, you might not believe that your needs are legitimate, that they need to be validated because you've been busy taking care of everybody else. And I want you to know, number one in your outline, God cares when you're overwhelmed with the details of life. He cares. And God knows when the details of life overwhelm you. A number of years ago, uh, almost 20 years ago now, my dad passed away from pancreatic cancer, and I was a youth pastor in Littleton, Colorado, and um, as we're uh, there, one night after youth group, I have the job of locking up the church, 
and it's a little Presbyterian church at the time, and, and I'm locking up the church, got stained glass windows, and uh, that place gets dark at night, like when you, everybody leaves the building, and you start turning off the lights, it gets dark in there, because there's not even like nice windows like this, and so literally, I'm, I'm just, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm emotionally tired, I'm physically tired, uh, and I sit down just on the steps by the stage of the sanctuary. And at first, you can't see anything. You can't see, like, your hand in front of your face. It's dark. But as some time goes by, your eyes begin to adjust, and you begin to see the light. And I just begin to talk to God about, man, this is where I've been. And my dad passed away, and he was like a rock in my life. And, and just this different thing. And I'm having to ask all the questions that a young man asks when his dad passes away. And you got to say, well, what kind of man am I going to be? And what, how, what kind of dad would I be? And what kind of husband should I be? And, and you begin to ask all those big questions. And I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed in the details of life. I have a full-time job. I have a part-time job teaching youth ministry at Colorado Christian University. I have a full-time job as a youth pastor. Um, and we've gone through the shooting at Columbine. So I have like almost a third full-time job uh, because we're doing a bunch of events after that tragedy and I'm just tired God don't you care don't you care one thing I noticed is though is the longer I sat there the brighter it became the light began to seep in through the stained glass windows that the the encouragement of God to understand where I was and where I needed to be and I don't know about you but I find this in my life that sometimes you need to sit in the dark place before you see the light. And sometimes you need to invite God into your dark place before you see the light. Martha's dark place was her busyness and her, her just getting upset and she kind of loses it a little bit at the, at the party she's trying to throw to please Jesus. She loses it a little bit in front of everybody. And God in a public way says, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things but only one thing is needed. Mary's chosen what is better and it won't be taken from her. And how many of us are running frazzled? You're, you're doing a bunch of things that God never asked you to do. Sometimes we fill up our lives with busyness so that we don't slow down to sit at the feet of the Lord. I want you to ask yourself, why am I so compulsive? Why am I so driven why do I constantly fill up everything with activity? Why can't I slow down and be at the Lord's feet? Invite God into that dark place. Invite God into what am I running from or what am I being busy about? What am I running toward that ultimately won't satisfy anyway? And God just helps her draw a boundary and he validates Mary because he cares when you're overwhelmed with the details of life. He didn't shame her. If anything, the statement of the Lord Jesus Christ invited Martha in to sit with Mary. He validated Mary and what she was doing, and Martha had a choice. Could she come in and sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus, her rabbi, and get on board with what he wanted to say and what he wanted to do, and that she could celebrate Jesus while she had him with her? God cares when you're overwhelmed by the details of life. In Mark 4, 35, 
Sometimes you enter a dark place before you see the light, and it can not only look like getting overwhelmed with the details of life, but in Mark 4 to 35, we find the disciples are out on a boat with Jesus. They're going across the shore of the Sea of Galilee. If you've been to the Sea of Galilee with us, uh, going to Israel, you can picture this. But they're out there in the middle. A storm blows up, and this is what happens. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped, and Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Who's overwhelmed by the details of life? At least his body is, right? He's exhausted. He's sleeping on a cushion in the middle of a storm. And he was sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you what? Don't you care? I want you to realize these two stories are the only two places in the Bible where people ask Jesus, don't you care? You won't find them asking Jesus that anywhere else in the Bible. Two completely different circumstances, two completely different stories, but the same response. When we get overwhelmed, when we get in that place, we begin to say, God, don't don't you care if we drowned Verse 39, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Imagine if you're on that boat. You're looking around, what just happened? Like he told nature what to do, and it did it. It's almost like he spoke creation into being. Like that's not a problem. And they realize this just isn't just a man. This is the God-man, the only one who ever existed, born of a virgin, born of the Father. God become flesh, God with us. And when he speaks, everything obeys. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. And they asked, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They're still stunned by what happened. Like, who were we in the boat with? Who was just sleeping on a cushion? Why are we freaking out? And Jesus takes a moment to circle back and debrief with Martha. He takes a moment to circle back and debrief with the disciples, do you, the real issue here, when you and I begin to freak out, when we get overwhelmed, the real issue is our faith. I was telling my circle group that this week, tax code has changed, you know, I don't get as many deductions kind of things as I used to, and I was doing my taxes, and I knew what I paid last year, and this year, it's like three times that amount for me. And I was freaking out, and I'm like, Lord, I just gotta look around, maybe I can do it, and I've gone through the taxes all these different times, and, and, I was like, God, why am I so worked up? And the Lord was saying, well, you trust me to be your source, and you tithe, and you give but you, to me, but you just don't want to pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. <laughs> I told my circle group, I was like, literally, I think God just told me, stop being a baby, pay your taxes. <laughs> why? I got all worked up that my source is God that I I had started thinking that it was all up to me. See, the disciples are in the boat and they begin to think it's all up to them. They gotta get through this. 
We, we need Jesus. We need more hands on deck. We need more people to bail water. The waves are coming over the boat. That's never a good sign when you're in a floating vessel to have as much water inside as outside. That's a bad idea. Right? They would not be the first boat that sank. And they were terrified. They say, we need all hands on deck. They don't realize that the hands they were asking to be on deck were the hands that holds the world in them. And he says... Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Not only does God care when you're overwhelmed with the details of life, but God cares that you look to him in the storms of life. How long do you stay in your storm before you invite God into it? How long until I ask God, God, what's going on that I'm so worked up over this whole tax thing. What, what is going on in me? What's going on in here? Because my response is bigger than the issue at hand. How long until you invite God into your storm? Oh, you'll say, God, calm the storm. Make it go away. But God wants relationship. God wants to say, but I can do that. But what's going on with you? What's going on in here? What's going on with your faith? God cares that you and I invite him in, that we look to him in the storms of life. He calmed the storm, but then he turned to deal with the issue at hand, the real issue, the heart, the issue of trust, the issue of faith. We got to take our dependence off ourselves and invite him into our impossible situations. Well, what does God care about ultimately? We ask that question. Ultimately, what does God care about Number three in your outline, God cares most about relationship with you. He wouldn't have come to the earth to be God with us if he didn't care about relationship. He wouldn't have died for us to remove the curse of sin and invite us into eternal life if he didn't like us and want to be with us. He wouldn't offer and sacrifice himself while we were his enemies, but as his creation, he still loved us and invited us into relationship. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And in Psalms 103, verse 1, it says of God, it says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You say, oh, benefits, I like that. What, what benefits? Who forgives all your sins. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Did God heal my dad of all his diseases? Yes. Ultimately, one life. Yes. He's alive with the Lord. He is turned in his rental, and he is more alive now than he was when he was living in the house with me. Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse. How many of you come in here today thinking God's accusing you? How many of you come in here today thinking God's angry with you? Let's talk about the God as he really is, not the God that we project him to be. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Did he heal my dad's body? No. But he healed his soul, the real dad, not just his rental. But sometimes we begin to say, God, don't you care? And I believe the enemy whispers to us, God doesn't care. There's no hope. There's no freedom. God doesn't really care because he wants you trapped. He wants you to stay stuck. He doesn't want you to turn to relationship with God. He doesn't want God to address us and deal with our issue of belief, our issue of faith. And today we need to say, I believe that life is more than survival. I believe the heart is more than a muscle. I believe in hope and freedom. Even when we've had doubts, even when we've had fears, even when we're in our impossible situation, I believe in hope and freedom. You can do a lot of good things, but the good things you're doing might not be God things. And you can be busy and distracted with all sorts of stuff. They're good ideas, but they are not God ideas. God's ideas are come and sit at my feet. Come be in relationship with me. Thank you for all that you're trying to do for me and all you're trying to do out there in the world and all the causes that are bigger than yourself you're trying to die for. But I want you to be with me. And when you're with me, then what happens, all those things are blessed because out of the overflow of being with me, all those areas are blessed. But be with me. Some of us are saying, God, don't you care because the storms in life for you have felt too heavy, too big. And you've put God on in a jury box and you said, I don't think he cares. The enemy whispered that to you and you just said, okay, I'll make an agreement with it. Others of you, you're just busy. You're either running toward performance or you're running away from the deep questions and you're filling up your every moment with distraction. And God is saying, come to me, you who are weary and burdened. Put your yoke on me. That's where the little oxen attaches itself to the mature oxen and the strength of the mature oxen trains the younger oxen how to do the work. Doesn't mean we don't do any work. It means we walk along and the Lord Jesus out of his power enables us to do far more than we could do on our own and do the right work that he's calling us to do. Listen, is your heart forgotten that God cares about you? Please don't tell me that your hope is in a bullet because it never answers the one life question, does it? It would never answer that. It would never heal that. You wouldn't rest from your problems. Your problems increase. Number four, Jesus Christ died to see your freedom for you from sin and bring hope in the temporary despair you're facing in life. So much of what we despair over is temporary. How many of you, if you had just given it a year, you find out in the shortness of a year, you find out that things can be radically different. But in the middle of that year, you think, I can't make it. I can't keep my head above water. I can't survive. I can't thrive. I don't think that freedom's out there. I don't think that there's hope. You give it just a year. And how you feel and what you see and what you think can be radically different. When our kids were little, one child was chasing the other child around uh, in our house. And uh, they were tagging each other. And one of them fell. And he hit his head on the bed frame. 
and cut his head wide open. He was three years old. This is Matthew, my middle. And he, he smashed his head on the bed frame. Heather calls me. I'm at work. Matthew's bleeding everywhere. I'm holding it. I'm putting pressure on it. I've called the ambulance because she's got three, three and under. Okay? No, Matthew's three, so six and under. Okay? Three kids. So I'm racing home from work. We get there. We get him off to the hospital. And then we get to the hospital. You come in there. And the, and the surgeon says, uh, Dad, I'm going to need you to hold your son. So, okay, no problem, no problem. So we take him in, they lay him down on a, on a table. They got this funny blanket on the table. It's, it's a Velcro blanket. And then they kind of wrap him like this, and they wrap him like a little burrito. And, like, he's in the Velcro blanket, like nobody's moving. Like, straight jacket, nothing. The Velcro blanket is the way to go. Okay, I'm just telling you. So they, they wrap the little kid in that, and then, but they got to do stitches on his head, but his head's free. So I have to stand above him and hold his head as they're giving him stitches. And Matthew's looking at me, and he's just looking at me. He's like, Dad, make it stop. Make it stop. I don't like this. Why are you doing this to me? And he's just yelling at me, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. We have to do this. You don't understand it right now, but this is for your benefit. And, and he's just like, I just can't do it. No, Daddy, don't you care? And we do the same thing, don't we? Freedom. From the Velcro blanket you've wrapped yourself in is coming. Freedom from infection, freedom from massive scarring. Hope is just around the corner, but there is times that you and I say, God, don't you care? God, don't you care? God, don't you care? And God is telling you, I, I care this much. With holes in his hands and a spear scar in his side and marks on his feet where they stacked one foot on top of the other and put a nail through both of them on the cross because he's not looking at just one life he's looking at all of our lives does he care yes he cares so much will you pray with me heads bowed and eyes closed just considering your own life for just a moment maybe some of you in this room are realizing that you've never given your life to christ you've never really trusted his care or you've self-selected. You say, I could never be someone who sits at his feet and learns from God. I couldn't ever be a Christian. But maybe today for the first time you're realizing God cares and he loves me that much and there can be hope and freedom from my sin problem. And if that's you today, then right where you're seated, you pray a prayer like this after me to say, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, that you were dead, that you were in the grave, but you rose to new life because you're God. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin and wash me as white as snow. Make me a new creation because today, Jesus, I give you me. And right now, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, will you raise your hand? Anywhere in the room, right over here on the end, greatest decision you can make, right here in the middle, greatest decision you can make. Hold your hand, you might be in the loft, my friends will see you up there. God, I want to thank you, and I want to ask you right now, God, that you would just meet. Some of us in this room are busy and burdened, self-sufficient, overwhelmed. Others, God, in this room have just been in despair. You know their story. You know what they would invite you into. And even right now, God, I ask that those believers in the room would just invite you in. God, what? why am I so worked up? Why am I so afraid? Why do I believe that it's all up to me when you, God, are our source? 
God, we thank you for being one who loves us, who cares for us. God, we believe that through you, we have hope and we have freedom. In Jesus' name and together, God, people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.